Hi, this is John with Prodigal Church. Today is Baptism Sunday, and baptism is the tombstone to the old life and the birth certificate to the new life that we have in Christ. So here are a few stories before we start our teaching. Enjoy. Hi, my name is JJ, and I'm getting baptized today. My family and I have been going to church every Sunday, and serving here at Prodigal has been a huge impact in my life. I got to see my family serve in church, which inspired me to start serving. Here at Prodigal, I love serving in our PC Kids ministry and learning about God. I'm getting baptized today to strengthen my relationship with God. I'm JJ, and I'm Christ for Life. Hi, my name is Alexa, and I'm getting baptized today. I want to be baptized because I love Jesus with my whole heart, and I see how my family uses Him through happy and sad times. My name is Alexa, and I'm Christ for Life. I'm Justin Lucian. I'm getting baptized today. When I was growing up, I didn't go to church uh, too often. Uh, went to Iwana's. When I became a teenager, God wasn't really a priority for me, and I went opposite ways of the church. And um, 10 years ago, I had a son. Um, he got really sick after birth. Uh, we almost lost him. Uh, he went to Valley Children's for three weeks. Um, I was praying to God uh, down on my knees and that's when I started to uh, go back to church. Four years ago I met my wife Shanna. Um, she has brought me to Christ um, in a crazy way. These last few years at Prodigal I felt God moving me toward baptism and that's what I'm going to do today. I'm Justin Malusian, I'm Christ for Life. Hi, my name is Lucas, and I'm going to get baptized today. I want to get baptized today because I want to let the world know on how much I love and want to serve Jesus. I'm Lucas, and I'm Christ for Life. Hi, my name is Zoe, and I'm getting baptized today. I'm getting baptized because I want the world to know that I love Jesus, and I've dedicated my life to Him. My name is Zoe, and I'm Christ for Life. I'm Jesse Gomez, and I'm getting baptized today. So I was born and raised Catholic, um, baptized Catholic as well. Um, growing up, I didn't realize what religion was or, you know, very, I knew very little about God. Um, my grandmother used to have a statue of the Virgin Mary and some candles. I didn't understand whether it was culture or, you know, or if that was, you know, what religion or what God was about. So growing up in my teenage years and in my early mid-twenties, um, I didn't feel like I needed God. I was doing my own thing, I had a care in the world, extremely selfish. I felt like I didn't need God until something went wrong. And then I would reach out and start praying, even though I didn't know whether or not I was doing it right, whether He was hearing me. So about seven years ago, six, seven years ago, um, we were introduced to a church at Francher Creek. That's where we met Pastor John. Um, that's where my journey started, for sure. I, should, I could say my journey started um, following Christ and me wanting to get to know him more. So I would love to say that I was at church every Sunday, but that wasn't the case. Um, I was, wasn't consistent, um, you know, ideally I would have loved to be, but it's just, it wasn't, it wasn't the time, I guess. Eventually we, um, 
started attending Prodigal Church about four years ago. So in the last few years, Jesus has definitely um, helped me become a better, better father, a better person, a better husband. He's gave me tons of patience for all these kids. That's <laughs> great. Kidding. No, that's I'm just great. kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's good though. <laughs> and that's why I'm getting baptized today. I'm Jesse Gomez, and I'm Christ for Life. I'm Manny Gomez, and I'm getting baptized today. So I grew up Catholic. Um, that's all I kind of knew. Um, never really felt at home or comfortable with my religion as a Catholic, but it's what family did. We, we went to church on Sundays, and we were Catholic. Um, I kind of pulled away from the church. I think I kind of pulled away from God when I lost my dad because I reached out to him and prayed to him and my dad ended up passing away regardless. Um, years later, we were looking for a church. We went to Francher Creek with my sister and we felt comfortable. Once Pastor John moved over to Prodigal Church, we really felt comfortable and definitely felt like we found a home and we've continued to grow with that church and we continue to want to grow with the church. We're now parents and we've never felt so comfortable in a church as we do now where we're just loved and we're taught to love and that's exactly what I want my kids to learn also and to teach their kids so we're in the right place and the right church for what's best for our family. I'm Manny Gomez and I'm Christ for Life. Hi, my name is Ebony and I'm getting baptized today. I grew up in the church and as a result, I was never really sure if my faith was my decision or just a product of what I had grown up in. Um, over the years, I grew farther and farther away from God um, and I became angry with Him for many different reasons. I've struggled with my identity as I think most people do, um, but during this time I was also struggling with health issues, which made it even harder to find myself. Um, the last couple of years I've come to the realization, a couple of realizations that I am not my anxiety, I'm not my depression, I'm not my panic attacks, I'm not my fear, I'm not my rejection, I'm not my polycystic ovarian syndrome. My name is Ebony Alvarez and I am Christ for Life. What a beautiful Sunday it has been thus far and it is all because of Jesus. And we are in week three of the Jesus series where we have been asking the questions, who he was, what he said, and why he died. And so if you are new to Prodigal or watching online for the first time or just visiting, we are answering some of the most ultimate questions of theological discourse from the last 2,000 years and providing answers all within 15 minutes. So you chose a great Sunday to be a part of us. Baptism points to Jesus. More specifically, his death and resurrection. And the death of Jesus on the cross is one of the most significant moments in all of human history. Why? What did it accomplish? How did a Roman torture device become a symbol of hope, life, and love? There are lots of ways people have talked about the death of Jesus to try and kind of make sense of it. And 
see if, if this is something that kind of maybe you have heard. This is how I was first told the gospel. And it's not all wrong, but I do think that there are some things off with this kind of presentation. And this version has its origin in roughly the 11th century when Christians began to only think about the cross in terms of uh, legal terms. And here's how it goes, okay? And I borrowed some toys for my children to kind of illustrate the point here. So this is Sinner Joe, uh, of course, Charlie Brown. We identify with Charlie Brown uh, sometimes in life, and so yeah, Sinner Joe is Charlie Brown. And then, uh, and this is God. Uh, God is strong, he's powerful, he's all-knowing, and God created Sinner Joe to have a relationship. And so he's supposed to be facing towards him. Um, but Sinner Joe, in rebellion against a holy God, has turned away from God. And instead of worshiping him, he turns his back on him. And this makes God very angry. Okay, like the Hulk, God is very wrathful. He's a holy God. He can't relate to sinful Joe in his sinfulness. So he looks upon sinner Joe as Jonathan Edwards once coined the phrase in his famous sermon, sinners in the hands of an angry God. The sinner Joe is seen as a loathsome spider dangling from a little thread just above the fires of hell. And God's holy wrath burns against sinner Joe. And then this is, of course, the hammer of God's wrath. God's justice, God's righteousness. And it was ready to come down on sinner Joe because of his sin and rebellion. But just in the nick of time, Jesus saves the day. And Jesus is represented here by Moana's grandmother. Um, I like to dance in the water. So if you haven't seen Moana, there literally is a bunch of connections between her and Jesus. But back to our reenactment, God's wrath is about to be poured out on sinner Joe, and Jesus takes what we deserve. He protects sinner Joe from the judgment of God. Jesus, in effect, says, no, Dad, don't do it. And Jesus steps in and takes the blow that we deserve. Now, God's okay with it, right? Because at least he got to vent his anger somewhere. And as the old hymn says, and on the hill where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. As long as somebody took the beating, Sinner Joe's okay, and God's okay with Sinner Joe. This is how many Christians view the cross, correct? Uh, it has become standard in many churches, and it's not all wrong, but there are some consequences of thinking of the cross, the death of Jesus, in this manner. For one, Sinner Joe is going to be very thankful for Jesus. I love Jesus, okay? He's not going to be so thankful with the Father, right? Like, I kind of want to keep my distance from the big guy in case he gets angry again. So you have this sort of schizophrenia in God, and in the minds of a lot of people, we have nice Jesus, and we have mean Father. Jesus becomes the buffer between us and God. Sinner Joe is going to be thankful that Jesus took the beating for him, but now he's thinking, well, now there's a, there's, a, there's a legal loophole here, okay? Jesus took the punishment for my crime. That means I can do anything without being punished. Jesus already bore the, the pain and the suffering that I deserved anyway. So Sinner Joe goes on sinning, banking on the fire insurance that he got because Jesus took God's wrath on his behalf. You can see how there are consequences to this line of thinking. So Christianity becomes a formula. 
As long as I pray this prayer and acknowledge what Jesus did for me, nothing else is required of me and I can go on living however I want. Something is off. Something is askew. Was the cross really just a, a, a way of solving a cosmic equation to assuage the wrath and justice and judgment of a holy God? No. No. Because the Bible says in Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love by Christ on the cross, not his wrath, not his judgment. Jesus came to reveal the love of the Father, not endure the wrath of the Father. Jesus says, if you see me, you've seen the Father. There's not even a hint of duplicity between Jesus and the Father. It says, for God so loved the world in John 3, 16, that he gave his only begotten son. It doesn't say that God was so mad at the world that he took it out on his only begotten son. Jesus reveals who God is, what God is like. On the cross, Jesus isn't saving us from God. Jesus is revealing God as Savior. Write it down. <laughs> On the cross, Jesus isn't saving us from God. He is revealing God as Savior. All the sin, past, present, future, is sinned into Jesus. He bears that on that cross. Romans 4.25, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. You see, death and resurrection, the cross in the empty tomb, they go together. Okay, you can't separate them. Whatever the cross did, it has to be connected to the resurrection, right? From a human perspective, we feel like the crucifixion is a defeat that then gets overturned in resurrection. No, it's not that. The crucifixion is a victory revealed by resurrection. And there's a difference. 1 Corinthians 15, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And that is baptism, a dying to ourselves and a raising to new life in Christ. We don't stay under. We don't stay dead. No, we've got to come out of the water. There is new life. Death is conquered. The Bible does talk about wrath. It does talk about the wrath of God, but that is not what is displayed on the cross of Christ. There is wrath at the cross, but the primary source of the wrath in the crucifixion of the Son of God is not God's wrath towards us, but our wrath towards God, nailing his son to a tree. God is in Christ coming to us with his love, his enemy love. On the cross, we see the wrath of others poured out on God and God loving us back no matter what. It's beautiful. Enemy love is a hallmark of following Jesus. It's a hallmark of the cross. And in the resurrection, Jesus doesn't come back seeking revenge, right? Thought you could kill me, eh? Like a Jesus Rambo, okay? Thought you could kill me? No, 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 he doesn't do that. He comes back and says, you know that horrible thing that you did to me? I want to use it as an opportunity for not only your salvation, but for the salvation of the world. That's the kind of God revealed on Calvary's cross. Not the violent, retributive God. No, the reconciling, forgiving, 
loving, grace-filled, merciful God. Jesus shows us who God is. And God is very different from all the other gods of the ancient world, okay? Throughout Israel's history, they encountered lots of gods in lots of different people groups. The first was the Egyptian god Ra. He was the most powerful god in Egypt, the body of a man with the head of a falcon. Then there was the Babylonian Marduk, the most powerful god in Babylon, created the world through chaos and violence. Then there was the Persian Empire in Ahura Mazda, the god of uh, the Persians, of Cyrus. Then we have Zeus and the god of the Greek pantheon. He's often depicted with a lightning bolt. And then the Romans, they weren't that creative, and so they just kind of adopted the Greek pantheon, but they gave them different names. So Zeus is no longer Zeus. Zeus is Jupiter. Notice that all of these gods have a weapon. The gods of the ancient world ruled like the kings of the ancient world, through power, through submission, through violence. And then the one true God, the one true God who created the universe shows up as Jesus of Nazareth. Not in a palace, but in a manger in Bethlehem. He enters the city of Jerusalem on his final week, not on a war horse or a chariot of fire, no, but humble on a donkey. And this king doesn't kill, but is rather killed. And he doesn't seek revenge on his enemies, but he seeks forgiveness. All those other gods have some kind of weapon, not Jesus. Oh, he has nails, but the nails are not in his hands. They are in his hands. That's the kind of God revealed on Calvary's cross. And it counteracts all the other gods of the ancient world. So Jesus' death isn't just a simple equation that gives us heaven. No, no, it's so much more than that. It doesn't mean just one thing. Here are 13 things that the cross does, that the cross means, and it's by no means exhaustive, but it's 13 of them, I'll give them quick. The cross is the pinnacle of divine self-disclosure. It is divine solidarity with all of human suffering. It is the eternal moment of forgiveness. It is the enduring model of discipleship. It is the coronation of the world's true king. It is the point in which Satan is driven out of the world. It is the beauty that saves the world. It is the access of love that changes the world. It is the supreme demonstration of God's love. It's the sacrifice that ends sacrifice. It's the abolition of war and violence. It's the infinite shaming of powers and principalities. It is death by which death itself is conquered. The cross is more than that, but it is certainly no less. It's not an equation. It's bigger than that. It's better than that. I'll close with this. When I was 14 years old, I asked a girl to go around with me. That's what we used to call it back in the early 1990s. It wasn't boyfriend, girlfriends. It wasn't going out. It was going around. Going around where? I don't know. Probably the school, but it worked back then. And whenever you ask somebody to be your boyfriend or girlfriend or go, to go around with you, it is terrifying. And there's a general rule of thumb that when you're thinking about asking someone to be your girlfriend, you only ask people who you think that there's a decent possibility that they're going to say yes, right? Like you don't put yourself out there and thinking that it's probably a no. 
Okay, that's impossible to be that vulnerable in that moment. It's terrifying. I remember asking a girl out, seventh grade, 14 years old. Her name was Courtney. And I walked up to her with all of her friends, gathered around her at lunch, and all of my friends were right behind me, right? Because you gotta have your buddies behind you. You gotta have your guys to have your back. Because if she says no, then you can say, well, I was just kidding anyway. And you and all your buddies are kind of pointing and laughing, but inside your heart is hurting, right? Tears are beginning to well up in your face and your buddy's like, dude, are you crying? You're like, no, dude, she thought I was serious, man. That's hilarious, you know? Um, anyways, I was talking to Courtney, standing in front of her, her girls behind her, all my boys behind me. It was like a dance-off, okay? One of us was gonna get served. And so I start the conversation and I, I say something great like, how's it going? And she says, good. I'm like, cool, cool, cool. What, what class do you have next? And she's like, uh, I have math. And I'm like, yeah, I, I had PE, we had testing. I did a lot of pull-ups. And, uh, and then I just kind of rip it off like a Band-Aid. And I say, do you want to go around with me? And then all the girls around her start giggling. And I heard one person say, aw. Now, I wasn't sure if that was a good thing or not. Was it, aw, that's so sweet and so cute? Or, aw, this poor guy thinks he has a chance with Courtney. I wasn't sure. So I asked her, would you go around with me? And she blushes and it's silent. She kind of looks down at her hyper-color t-shirt. It seemed to change colors while my heart was going pitter-patter. And her response is something that I'll never forget. To this day, 25 years later, I'm standing there. My heart is in my throat. I'm freaking out. She's leaving me hanging and she says, um, I'm gonna think about it. Yeah, that's what she said. Okay, talk about lame. I'm gonna think about it. Yeah, uh, so am I. I was just, I was gonna go think about it right now. You know what the worst part is? She never got back to me, okay? She's still thinking about it. Okay, I saw her years ago, I ran into her, she's a pharmaceutical right now, and I went up to her, and she's like, John, and I'm like, so, and she's like, so what? I'm like, so, like, are we gonna go around? Because I need to tell my wife that I'm going around with somebody else if you say yes. Are you still thinking about it, Courtney? Now, when it comes to you and God right now, when it comes to you and Jesus, I wanna let you know that the invitation is on the table. The cross was God's way of putting himself out there for us. It was God being vulnerable. It was God's proposal. And the resurrection is our life in him, our life together. Resurrection isn't something that just happened 2,000 years ago. No, resurrection is something that still happens today. It's happening inside of us now. We're called to bring life where it was thought to be only death. We're called to bring light where we, it was thought that it was only darkness. We're called to bring hope when we thought it was all despair. And we are called to bring victory where it was thought to only be defeat. This is the cross of Christ. This is resurrection. This is baptism, the new life that we have in Jesus. It's not just an equation to get us saved and into heaven. It's not just fire insurance. No, it is a life to follow Jesus. We get to be a part of God's missionary work in this world, God's kingdom project to bring heaven to earth, not just to abandon earth to get to heaven. 
And so my question for you, as we close the Jesus series and as we close this baptism service, is how will you respond to the invitation, to the proposal that Jesus gave on the cross? That vulnerability, that offer of new life and love in him that was announced in a new way on that cross and on Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago with his resurrection. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you wouldn't just be our Savior, that you'd also be our Lord. Thank you for the ways in which you show us what God is like. Love, grace. Help our lives to show others what you are like as well. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week is PC Kids Sunday, so the kids are taking over the service, and we've got a ton of th fun. Of wow, wow. We've got a ton of fun things planned. I'm going to leave that in there. We're not going to edit that out. Um, we got a ton of fun up there. And uh, we're excited about next week. PC Kids Sunday is going to be great. And in two weeks, we have end of summer Sunday. Um, it's really just an excuse to have a great party together. We're going to have a water slide, some snow cones, and all kinds of fun stuff. We can't wait to see you next week at PC Kids Sunday. Peace in the Middle East.